Honesty in relationships. I don't know what you would rank honesty in relationships on a scale of what is most important for health and good relationships, but I think most people I've ever met deeply value honesty in relationships. That being said, I think many, many people forego honesty for something easier. Forgo honesty for something easier. Why? Because getting honest is hard. Can you just nod your head if you agree that getting honest is hard? Yeah. In some season, it's not. In some seasons, honestly, we're so laid bare, we have no ability but just to be like, yep, this is what's going on. This is how I'm doing. Uh, you want to ask how I'm doing? Be careful, because I'm just going to give it to you. I'm just raw, and I'm going to be honest with that. In other seasons, it's really, really challenging. And probably for most of us, there's kind of an ebb and flow, kind of like the tide, right? Where there's seasons where it's extra hard to get honest in our relationships. So what happens is this, is this happens. This kind of strategy comes about. We fake it until what? Fake it till you make it. You just kind of fake it till you make it. You do things in hopes of other things, um, in hopes that it will eventually kind of work out. Now, here's what's interesting. This is most true and actually impacts every other relationship in our relationship with God. That if we try to head fake God and try to dodge honesty in our relationship with God, it actually just fundamentally changes and causes other relationships to struggle deeply. Now, this is absolutely nothing new to try and fake it with God. The very first couple in the Bible, three chapters into your Bible, the first couple's trying to hide from God, which is kind of ironic, because when you think about the abilities of God, it doesn't seem all that logical. But not getting honest in relationships isn't often a logical exercise, is it? We don't do it because it's the most logical or helpful thing. So the first couple tried to hide, and it never stopped. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, God actually tells people, stop coming to church. Do you know that? Knock it off. I hate religious services that have nothing to do with the heart. Your lips, your songs, your offerings, stop. Quit it. It's actually a giant affront to me. Imagine being married to an open adulterer. And on a regular basis, they do things like bring flowers, invite you out for a date, these kinds of things. That becomes actually more and more painful as it goes on. That's what God was saying. Stop your fake worship. How about the cups that Jesus mentions in the New Testament? He talks about cups that look shiny and beautiful on the outside. Inside, they're filthy, disgusting, gross. What he's doing is calling out frauds of the faith. By the way, the frauds of the faith he was calling out, people like me. People who are professionally teaching the scriptures to other people. People are in charge of putting together religious services. So God's made it really crystal clear that he doesn't want that. He doesn't like that. Let me tell you about Jessica and Paul. 
You may remember this from the news years ago. I'm in the middle of a book called Impossible Odds. It's about their life. Jessica Buchanan and this guy Paul, who's a Danish guy, she's an American, are nonprofit workers. They work for an NGO, and they were educating people on landmines left behind war-torn Somalia, trying to help people not get blown up. Everyone in these villages had an aunt, uncle, brother, or themselves with a missing arm, a missing leg. So they went in to teach and give their lives to be doing this. And what happened was, this grainy picture, by the way, is a proof-of-life video that was recorded to show the hopeful ransom people that, yes, they're still alive, pay us money. Somalian pirates had stolen them, and they hid these two people, catch this, for 93 days. Every day, they would hide under trees and brush, and they would, they would then at night zigzag all over the desert, but at nighttime, they would sleep out in the plain open uh, desert, completely visible. And here's why. They had some sense that our U.S. military could see and track with drones and satellites that they could see people. But they had absolutely no concept whatsoever of infrared technology. What does infrared technology do? It makes nighttime as bright as day. They had no idea about heat mapping. I'll do questions at the very end. All right? Thank you. Um, same with you. We've got questions popping up. Listen, I'll talk to you all about Jessica Buchanan and impossible odds after the service. But let me keep going because I've got tons to get to. Uh, they had no idea about heat mapping. What does heat mapping do? It says that like, on a pitch black night, you can find bodies and track them in real time movement. So the pirates were literally in the dark about this. And what they did was they, they did all of this, uh, they had all of this sneaky hiding movement in the daytime and, and were completely comfortable um, in the dark. Let me say this. God sees clearly in the dark. God sees clearly in the dark and God sees our dark clearly. God sees clearly in the dark and God sees our dark, my dark, clearly. Listen to Psalm 139. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? Question to ponder. Whenever you're asking yourself this, ask yourself why you want to hide from God. Why? What's the instinct that suddenly makes you want to hide from God? Where shall I go from your spirit, or where shall I flee from your presence? If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light about me be night, even the darkness is not dark with you. The night is bright as the day, for darkness is light with you. We can't fool God any of the time. However, we can fool others and maybe even ourselves some of the time. Let me give you, and I'm, I'm going to put this on the screen later, but let me give you the warning that we are to heed from our passage this morning. 
Here it is. Don't be fooled by foolish people. Don't be fooled by foolish people. Avoid them. Okay? That's the, nut, that's the nugget of our passage today. Don't be fooled by foolish people. Avoid them. So the end times are filled with foolish people who think they can do whatever they want and get rewarded for it. The end times are filled with foolish people who think they can do whatever they want and get rewarded for it. But just like Somali pirates, here's the last verse of our passage, they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all. Okay, that's where we're going. 2 Timothy chapter 3. I'm going to read the whole passage. There's so much here, we're not going to get to all of it. But I've kind of pulled out a few key ideas I want to, I want to talk about. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 to 9 say this. But understand this, that in the last days, there will, be, there, there will come times of difficulty. For people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power, avoid Such people. For among those, for among them are those who creep into households and capture weak women, burdened with sins and led astray by various passions, always learning and never able to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. Just as Jonas and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also opposed the truth. Men corrupted in mind and disqualified regarding the faith. But they will not get very far, for their folly will be plain to all, as was that of those two men. Would you pray with me? God, this sounds like a lot of bad news. It's a long, heavy list. We live in a wicked world. I pray, God, that whatever emotions were just stirred up by the reading of this, God, that we would cut through to what you would speak to us. I pray you'd give me clarity of thought, clarity of speech. I pray, God, that we would be in here um, as those who would meekly receive the word of truth. God, we just sang this in the good times and the bad. You are on your throne. There's no other God but you. We look to you now for instruction and clarity. In Jesus' name, amen. So this passage mentions the end times or the last days is how the ESV translates it. There's sort of a fascination with end times, isn't there? Uh, Think about our series title. I think that fascination or focus on the end times can be really healthy and productive. The whole idea behind our series title is this. Paul is on death row. He doesn't have many hours to live. In fact, he has roughly 4,000 hours left in his life. It's around three months or so-ish. Paul's going to have his head separated from his body from the government of the day for being a Christian, for holding fast to the truth. So thinking about and talking about and and focused on, on the end actually helps us live well. Helps us remember, yeah, life is short. I want to live this thing well. 
I want to get this thing right. I don't want to be lulled to sleep, just kind of going through the motions of things. Wake up. So there's a good thing. End times can be a good thing. But end times fascination can be a huge distraction. Anyone grow up in churches where there was a ton of charts on the wall? Anyone? I had those. Charts of end times, things going on. I could never decipher them. I was like too distracted. I couldn't track the thing very long. But big end times uh, things. Um, we, had, we had some talk about extra wicked leaders. There's always wicked leaders, right? Um, but extra wicked leaders... Uh, Gorbachev in the 80s, he led Russia. He had the mark of the beast. Did you know that? What was Gorbachev's defining factor? He was bald. He had a giant mark. We're like, yep, that's it. He must be the beast. That's in the Bible. Our church held an open hand. They didn't quite say it that strongly, but there can be this, this, this fascination with it all. And there can be like a lot of people certain that they have the right thing, and it can just be a giant distraction. Oh, there's secular versions, by the way, as well. The zombie uh, apocalypse, anyone? Right? I mean, you see this on the bumper sticker. I'm in case of zombie apocalypse, whatever quippy, you know, funny thing is said there. I have talked with people who, who are convinced about um, Aztec calendars and aliens and all kinds of things. Here's a fascinating thing, by the way. Just get people who genuinely believe in these things to defend their faith. Just have them commit to actually defend... And here's a great question to, to keep the conversation going. How did you come to believe that? Don't ask it in a snarky way, ready to just go, I'm going to load with biblical knowledge and just, bam, shoot you. Rather, genuinely, how did you come to believe that the Aztecs centuries ago have this calendar and the world's going to end somewhere around 2009 and aliens are involved? Tell me about that. That's a real conversation I had. He wasn't a very good apologist for his belief system. Not many people asked him to defend why he came to that, that decision. And the more he talked, the more he laughed at himself. So I just joined in. I'm like, I'm glad you're laughing because I think that's pretty silly. Now that you've told me all that, let me tell you something super easy to believe. God came in a man. He lived a perfect life. He died as a part of a preordained plan to die a death that, that we deserved and in exchange... We get his perfect life as our resume before God. He also rose from the dead just as he predicted, and now he's ascended and sitting at the right hand of God back in his rightful place. That's called the gospel. That's what I believe in. Easy to believe in that after the aliens and Aztecs and all the stuff you're talking about. We were playing golf. I was hoping to lead him to Christ by the 18th hole. We ran out of holes, evidently. But it was a very friendly exchange. End times. The Bible repeatedly and clearly says that difficult days are coming for the church sooner or later. What's the church? It's the people of God. It's the family of God. God is building one new family out of all the families on the earth. Every skin color and language and socioeconomic background and political system of the world, God is building one new family out of all these people. And there's an end point to human history, and difficult days are coming for the people of God sooner or later. The Bible could not be more clear on this. Paul is telling Timothy this. Jesus told his disciples this. Don't turn there. Just listen carefully. This is Luke 21. Well, you can turn there if you want. It's a free country. And we're in church. How could the pastor tell me not to turn to a passage? Turn to the passage. Go for it. Luke 21.10. 
Then he said to them, this is Jesus talking about the end times. Then he said to them, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes and in various places, famines and pestilence. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogue and prisons. And you'll be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. For you'll be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. Church, this is our lot in life as we follow Christ. Fair warning. He said it plainly, and the Bible says it repeatedly. I just met with a friend of mine. His name is Jim Jessup. And we were chatting yesterday. He said, how are things going to church? I've had Jim preach in this pulpit before. And I walked him through some of the challenges we're facing, how God's been faithful And he deals with a ton of churches. He works at a university. He said, good for you, brother. I'm so glad you're you're still at it. Many, many, many people have taken the the exit ramp. Many, many people have, 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 have walked away from it. Many churches have folded and not survived the last three three years or so. I said, Well, it's by God's grace. Pray for us, Jim. I mean, where isn't a tough place to do ministry? I don't know. It's tough everywhere. But it's difficult here. There's a lot of this. It's not hard to see. You know, the challenges that face churches the last couple of years has been really, really telling. One of the things I said over and over again in this very spot is this. Disciples Disciples of Jesus listen to first and most Jesus. That's who we give our attention to. From a couple of weeks ago, we give our lives to understanding what he says, and then we live our lives according to what we find out. Period. What I could tell is this. There were some that listened to strictly conservative voices through the entire pandemic. And here's what went on with that. Those who listened to conservative voices. By the way, if you listen to voices nonstop, you are disciples of those voices. You are placing yourself under their care and instruction. And the sort of ethos of who they are seeps into you, whether you want to have it or not. Disciples of conservative voices railed and rallied and raged against violations and shutdowns and big government. Disciples of progressive gurus, I could hear it, quickly merged into majority opinion so as not to rock the boat. The question for disciples of Jesus in a pandemic or tomorrow morning at some ethical decision you might face at work or in your home is what would Jesus do? What would you have me do, Jesus? So here's what I didn't have. 
I didn't have a ton of people wanting to meet with me during the pandemic. Dave, I've got to meet with you. It's urgent. Can I meet with you, Pastor? I got a lot of those. I don't think I had many that said, I'm desperate to understand what Jesus said, that this will be my opportunity to bear witness. Dave, can you help me bear witness? I don't want to miss what Jesus has for me. He said all this stuff was coming. I want to make sure that I bear witness correctly. Shouldn't that be the focus of a Jesus follower? I really think it should be. It takes effort to not, to not get sucked into the left or right. Jesus was neither left, right, or middle. He wasn't. As, as people who march to the beat of a different drummer, Jesus being the drummer, we look, sound, and think completely off of everyone. Even those in our own church may completely misunderstand what we are doing. Because we are so dialed into saying, you are God alone, and I'm going to listen to you, and I'm going to search it out. Because I'm getting lots of people raging about different things. I'm getting tons of advice. I'm getting tons of commands from other people. But God, I want to please you alone. How did Jesus respond when his rights were trampled, when his freedoms were taken, when he was lied about and misunderstood on Twitter? We don't have to guess. We know. We know exactly how he replied. God was gracious to give us Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, four biographies about Jesus. Read them. It's filled with this stuff. Jesus upsets many conservatives because he laid down his rights. How dare you take my rights? Jesus said, here you go. Take them. Jesus upsets many progressives because he holds unflinchingly to unpopular truth. And therein lies a very simple caricature of the right and left, isn't it? Jesus didn't walk sort of right between those. He just walked as he walked. He sees the beginning from the end. He sees night as if it's day. Philippians 2, 3, do nothing out of selfishness or or out of selfish ambition or conceit. But in humility, count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among you, which was also that of Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped or held on to, but emptied himself, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Humility, others, emptied, servant, obedient, death. That's who we're following. That's our Lord and our Savior. Disciples of Jesus look all together different. You know, people are always looking for signs of the end times. 
already mentioned some of them, charts and schematics and the aligning of stars, aliens, Aztec uh, calendars, whatever. So the question is, are we in the last days? Are we in the last days? Look up. Google sometime this week, um, timeline of 2020, 2021. I did that. It's pretty fascinating. It's pretty fascinating just to see all that's gone on. You will re-remember things that, that would have made major news in other seasons of life that barely got a little, you know, maybe 24 hours on the news cycle because so much was going on. So are we in the last days? Well, yes. No, and sort of. That's my answer. That's my genuine answer. Yes, no, and sort of. Here's what I mean by that. First of all, last days or end times is used in different ways in the Bible. So remember genres of the Bible? Where you read it and the context has everything to to, to do with that. So we're in something called the church age. The church age is after the resurrection of Jesus and before his promised return. So there's... Parts of the scripture that say, these are the last days. The moment Jesus was taken up at the ascension after Easter began the last days. Hebrews says, in these last days, before there were prophets and all these things, but in these last days, God has spoken to his people through his son, Jesus Christ. So are we in the last days? Emphatically, yes. Are we in the last days? Certain things emphatically, no. Jesus hasn't come back yet. Why do I say sort of? Well, let me say this. When I say no and sort of, it means this. I don't know exactly, quite simply because I'm a kid. I'm not the father, I'm the kid. There's a universal truth that plays out everywhere. It certainly plays out in my car all the time. Kids in the back seat somewhere behind me. When will we get there, Dad? Dad, happily driving, soon. Now, does dad's soon equal the kid's soon? Never. This is a universal truth. I don't care what home you grew up in. It's never the same. Soon might mean, now soon has an objective reality. I have a freakishly good ability to guess when we're going to arrive somewhere. Don't I, wife? Help me. It's good. I don't even know. God just gave it. It's like an internal gyroscope of time and space. I haven't been able to make money off it yet because now your phone just tells you anyway. But there is an objective reality to when we're going to get there. It's 11 minutes, right? Whatever it is. 11 minutes to an old guy like me is like that. Nothing at all. How long is 11 minutes when you're five? It's like a decent percentage of your life. You're like, come on. That's why the frustration of two minutes later, I thought you said soon. I did say soon. So we're talking past each other quite simply because the, the parent and the kid don't, don't have the same sense of time. Can we all just relax about the end times and last days and say, we're the kid in the back, back seat? Going when, Lord? Father knows. God knows. It's, it's, it's not known to us, but it's soon. He tells us it's soon. Here's what Paul does with all the end time stuff that we can kind of get lost in the weeds of. He brings it very much back to earth in a very profound way. He predicts something so familiar that it's shocking. 
And it's actually quite shocking because it's so familiar and so, and so frequent. 2 Timothy 3.1, but understand this, that in the last days there will come times of difficulty, for people will be. I counted, there's 18 bad things he's about to list. Not a depressing list, it's kind of like a frustrating list to read. You're like, yep, 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 uh uh-huh, major, uh uh-huh, yep, that's happening. I've had all those things. I've had all those things go on right in here in my own soul. Lovers of money? Rather than lovers of God? Yeah. God, rid me of that. Disobedient to my parents? A time or two. Yeah, rid me of that. Seeking after pleasure instead of seeking after God? Ongoing temptation. God, rid me of that. There's no life in that. So here's the point. You want signs for the end times? Look at the behavior of people. People want to go to the stars, to ancient things, to super complicated timelines, and the book of Daniel here, and that geopolitical thing happening over here. Let me boil it down, something really simple. Here's the list. The behavior of people will look like this. So I ask you again, like, are we living in the last days? It sure seems like it. Yes or no? Have people always been sinful? Say yes. That's the gospel answer. That's the truth. People have always been sinful. But there are seasons in world history where things are going from bad to worse at a scale and a progression that seems to just be, it's, it's, it's a runaway truck on the downside of Highway 17 with no brakes. There's just momentum going, and it's just coming. I think it must have been this way before the flood in Noah's day. Just an absolute free-for-all, throwing off all restraint. So here we are in a season where we read this list. We go, I can't really think of anyone doing any of this stuff. Arrogant? Abusive? No. No one I know. None of my 1,732 friends on Facebook ever act this way. All the young people are like, what's Facebook? It's a social media thing that was happening when you... Never mind. You want to look for signs of the last days. Look at people. Let me give you one lens of how to look at this. Okay? And it's very... It's just so prominent and in our face that it's an easier one to spot. I could pick, I could pick 20 others. In fact, part of your... Community group homework, even if your community group isn't meeting during the week, I've been trying to discipline myself to go through the questions and still work through that to kind of apply this, kind of do the lecture lab format. One lens is to look at what is our culture? What do people in your neighborhood, in your society, at your school, at your work, the power players and the voices on the screens and those with the most influence, what do they celebrate and what do they mock? What gets celebrated and what gets mocked? A short time ago, a few liberal denominations stood with those who were in favor of gay marriage. They stood with them and affirmed them and came out as a church, came out in support of this and said this is not only 
okay, it's to be celebrated. It's a, it's a good thing. They were very, very, very fringe. Now what do we have? Let's just fast forward a little bit of time. We have an entire month that equates to a secular holiday called Pride Month. Anyone hear of it? Everyone has heard of it. I'm not reaching in the slightest bit here. Everyone has heard of it. We have a month of pride now. Now let me just, let me direct your attention back to the scriptures and say, God, we want to meekly receive the word of truth. What do you say on this? Not what's popular, not what's most maverick. I don't care about any of that. I want to get on your side on this. I want to get your wisdom and instruction on this. Pride Month is pervasive. It is being forced on my public school children in the public school system. Not only on children, but teachers are wrestling with this. It is being forced on teachers. It's not lost on the biblically literate people, by the way, that the rainbow is the chosen symbol of this movement. If this movement were just put on and promoted by openly God-hating people, it wouldn't be that shocking, would it? It wouldn't shock me in the slightest. Here's what has been sad and fascinating to me all at the same time. In the last handful of years, I've got the number five up. In the last five years, runaway truck down 17 with no brakes. A tsunami has swept through the church such that there has been widespread, quick, uncritical, and unexplained embrace of the pride movement. Such that we now have many churches in our area. It's not hard to find a church draped in the rainbow and promoting the the message that we are welcoming of all, which I think is a great message, but it's, it's a veiled statement that says that we not only welcome a homosexual couple or someone who's in the LGBTQ plus community, but we embrace and affirm your lifestyle. Not hard to see, not hard to spot. This rainbow is being told to us, is being marketed uh, to celebrate pride. Scripturally, I've already alluded to it. The rainbow ought to do something in us. It ought to generate humility. It ought to do the exact opposite of what's being used for this. So here's my question to you. Could this be a sign of the last days? Could this be a sign of the end times? There is a church not far from here. They are hosting an an event, a community event, um, that is celebrating pride, and it's juxtaposed with a cross next to it. And it's such a disconnect in my brain. It's such a disconnect to host a community. Now, I promise you, the neighbors will celebrate that generally. They will applaud and affirm 
this open-minded church, this progressive church, this church that is moving in the right side of history, all these phrases. And I look at any event, I go, I can't imagine a church celebrating pride. Let me give you four distinct things that, from this list that immediately jump out and apply to this. That's why I'm talking about this one. Look at the list again. People will be lovers of self. People will be proud. That's easy to tie into pride movement. Arrogant. Swollen with conceit. So just those four are very, very easy to link to this. Here's what's interesting. Right now what I'm doing, if you did this at your corporation tomorrow morning, what could happen to you? Yeah. It's interesting. If I asked this a year or two ago, maybe three years ago, you might get maligned, you might get written up, you might get whatever. Many of you just immediately blurt out, you'd get fired. Someone said this once, that truth is regarded as hate speech by those who hate the truth. Truth is regarded as hate speech by those who hate the truth. I want you to know, friends, I'm not saying anything that is not very fundamentally orthodox Christianity for centuries and centuries and centuries and centuries. Nothing I've said today is shocking. It lands shocking on our ears, doesn't it? Is Dave allowed to be saying this? Is this okay? Is this right? I hope you're asking for all of those things, by the way. I I hope you are engaging with that. I hope that if you're being welled up, does Dave hate people who don't think like him? I hope those questions emerge. Please come and talk to me. It's very challenging in a presentation like this to get all of my heart about this topic out. But I wanted to bring this one up because it was so blatantly there. Let me just say this. On this issue and a thousand others, God decides what is lawful and what is awful. Every person you ever interact with, every person in this room, has some referee deciding, is that lawful or awful? Should I celebrate that or mock that and deride that and cancel that and fire that? Is that loving speech or hate speech? We all have something, right, causing us to to referee. I, as a Christian, say God decides that. If it's in bounds, that means it's good for you and it's glorious to God. Abound in it. Remember from last week? Pursue it. Chase after it. Get after it. By the way, I think you'll avoid a ton of arguments if you just pursue righteousness. Tons of them. You're running after God. People are like, hey, what about this? I don't know. You're just running. Pastor, I want to engage in you in a lengthy email battle back and forth about what you said. You know what? A lot of that... Nonsense. Have nothing to do with foolish controversies. It just whips people into a hornet's nest. I'm like, you got that on Fox last night. You got that on MSNBC last night. Knock it off. Do you even know anyone who's in that camp? Go talk to them about it. Have you even talked to the Lord about this? Go talk to him about it. He's got a way better perspective than I do. After those things are done, let's meet for coffee. So if it's in pound, it's good for you. If it's out of bounds, it's terrible for you. It's dishonoring to God. It leads to death. Run from it. Avoid it. That's in our text today. Avoid it. All right, central truth. It's going to be three sermons. I'm going to keep pick up the pace here. Don't be fooled by foolish people. Avoid them. 
You'll see that foolish people in the last days have disordered loves. Watch for this in our, in our text, okay? They'll be lovers of self, lovers of money, lovers of pleasure, rather than what? Lovers of God. Don't sit on your high horse and go, those people over there. Get honest with yourself. Get honest about God. Why don't you pray? Because where else can you not be honest more than in prayer? Five minutes of silent prayer in your prayer closet, if you're not being honest, is a joke. It's hiding in the garden while God walks in the cool of the day and you think you're hiding from him. So get honest with God. Love of self, love of money, love of pleasure. God, I'm all about that as a 20-year-old Christian. How can that be? Rid me of that. Keep that disgusting and repulsive to me. Let it be far from me. Isn't there a strange comfort in this list? It seems a little bit weird. But I think the fact that God knows people are like this and puts, supernaturally puts, a long, 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 long time ago, a list together like this that we look around and go, has he been watching our news? Like this is as relevant as tonight's news. I promise you. I find it strangely comforting because what it means is God knows. In the good times and bad, we just sing, God is on his throne. (laughs) A really silly, like, little pea shooter uh, shot I get as a pastor sometimes as a Christian. Well, a bunch of uh, ancient simpletons wrote the Bible. And I'm like, you're probably not wrong. Modern simpletons are the preachers of the Bible. Hello. So you're probably not wrong, but how is it then that they got so much right? How on earth is it still so relevant? How is it as we preach through 2 Timothy, it's all right there in real time in our modern technological age, in the Silicon Valley no less? Man, it's, it's just sitting there giving us. So I find it a, a, a good comfort. It means God knows and he's prepared for it, and in fact, he's given us clear instruction for it. Let me take just a couple of minutes on the command found in verse 5. Look at your Bible. First, we have to figure out what it is. What's the command in verse 5? By the way, this is a good question to ask any passage you read. Is there a command to obey? What is it? It's not hard. Avoid. Avoid such people. Okay? Let me ask you this. How do we practically avoid such people? What does it mean to obey this passage? We can read that list. And then say, avoid such people. We're like, yep, got it, move on. We're going to tease it a little bit here. I want you to wrestle with this. I've been wrestling with it for a while. First of all, is it a person who has all of these traits? You're like, they've got 16 out of the 18. I'm going to watch for these two. If they get those two, I'm avoiding that person. Right? That's, a, that, that's probably not what it means. Is this an excuse not to deal with the hard people in your life? Hmm. Should I just clump with people who affirm me and think just like I do? And we could go on and on and sort of apply this in some weird ways. Here's what I know. Reading the Bible in context, teaching through the Bible in context means this. Last, work I, last week I heard this guy, preacher named Andres, mentioned in a passage in 1 Timothy a couple of sentences ago that talked about your opponents and how you should correct them gently. 
So it's not just if people don't think like you and, you know, celebrate this month and not the month of Christmas, or they call it happy holidays of all things. <laughs> Avoid them. Have nothing to do with them. That's not what it's talking about. Read your Bible. Figure out there's, there's some wrestling here of, of how it ought to look. Let me, just, let me just tell you a few thoughts. I was going to do this group, but we just don't have time. Um, as in all things, look to Jesus. Keep looking at Jesus. How did Jesus do this? Let me give you some thoughts that kind of, as I jotted down, how do I apply this, Lord? Here it is, ready? First of all, Jesus didn't isolate from haters. He didn't unfriend them. He didn't avoid them. He often pursued them. Did he not? The week before he died, you know what he did? He went and taught in the halls of the temple every single day. He wasn't well-liked. He wasn't a popular preacher. He did it every day. So Jesus didn't avoid the haters. And Jesus left whole villages because of unbelief. He just walked away. Why? Because there's a lack of belief. I can't get anything done here. No malice, but he left people. He avoided towns. Jesus patiently tried again and again with his preaching. Jesus would say, let me try this parable. Let me try saying it this way. Let me say it this way. The kingdom of God is like. So there was multiple sort of attacks on it. And Jesus didn't entrust himself to certain people. Why? Because he knew the wickedness of their heart. So what does it look like for you to avoid such people? It may not be as black and white as you think. And I think there's room here for it to feed your own natural bent. If you're an avoider of conflict, you're like, oh, I've got a verse. I don't know. I just don't know about those things. That may be the coward's way out. And some of you who are like in the fight, bring it on. I'll fight anyone right now. Anyone. If that's you, you could use this verse to kind of skew that. All right. Let me give you something really practical to walk away with. Is this preacher from God? Some of you are asking that right now. You're like, is this guy from God? Should I be listening to him? I told the kids, there's some voices you can listen to, some you can't. From the time they're little, we want to bring them up. We want to expose them to evil and wickedness little by little by little. They can't handle it all. Please don't sit and watch the news with your six-year-old. But little by little, we want to equip them. There are certain voices that we should stay away from. Is this preacher from God? Let me give you something uh, really, really tangible. Write these down. Number one, look at, at, at what he teaches. What is the teaching of that man or woman you are following? And this could be book form, podcast form, uh, you know, whatever. What is the teaching? What are the specific beliefs and ideas that are presented? Catch this. Is the whole of Scripture presented or just parts of it? Are there certain themes that are talked about so much and so regularly, and you begin to go, wait a minute, there's a whole nother side to this I never, ever, ever hear about. So pay attention to what is taught. Cults are formed by coward, crooked teachers who only preach from popular parts of the Bible. At first, and then after they get some followers, they, they go into some really dark places. Here's Acts chapter 20, 27, Paul saying, I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. If you're mad at me on certain Sundays, I think I've done my job. I don't get up here and try to make people mad at me. I don't. I'm actually not that person. I, I don't like that. I would tend towards people-pleasing more. 
But I want you to know, I make myself mad. I read the Bible and it counters me. I read the Bible and it exposes me as a, as a fraud in, 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 a, in a part. And I go, I don't like that. Here's number two. How does that teacher live? What do they teach? How do they live? Examine the personal character of this person. What does the book of Hebrews say? It says, remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. I'll tell you the problem of popular preachers who live far away. If your only pastor lives on your screen, I promise you, you are not known by that person. Doesn't mean you can't benefit from them. I am mentored by dead people from the 1800s. Did you know that? Who's your mentor? Uh, He's dead. Actually, his body's just trash. He's doing great. But I read old dead people. That's not a bad thing to be mentored by people. But I'll tell you the beauty of a smaller, intimate church. I don't do this big thing and get whisked away by a security team off behind that wall. And you don't have a clue how I actually live. Most every week, my wife is sitting here. And if she's ever scoffing, I say, be kind, for Jesus was kind. She's going, ah! Not her personality. (laughs) But watch my wife's reaction. There's something good about just kind of being around and rubbing shoulders with people to be able to, to obey this passage. Here's number three. What does this teacher produce? What are their converts like? I'll tell you what, if the people who, uh, who follow the teaching of your favorite teacher are not serious students of the word, don't give a rip about walking according to the manner of life God has called us to, if they sort of like snicker at sin, or if they're all about law and rules and graceless religion, there's a sense you can trace that to the teacher, especially if they're in personal relationship with them. Because that teacher wouldn't put up with that. As a mentor, you would call that out. You would not excuse that. I love this passage in 2 Corinthians 3. He says, You yourselves are our letter of recommendation written on our hearts to be known and read by all. I don't really care what your church building looks like. I don't care how slick the website is. I don't care how good the preaching is or how awesome the music is. Smoke machine or not, take it or leave it. That's neutral to me. What are the converts like? What are the people like? Are they falling more in love with Jesus? Are they on a progression of their faith? Do we look at each other in amazement? I, you guys sang really well this morning. I love hearing you sing. Flip it around someday. Come sit in the front and actually pay attention to your church family singing over you. Band, why don't you come on up? We're going to move into a time of communion. And before we do, I don't want you to miss this. The folly of the Somalian pirates... was made visible to the whole world through the technology of news and media outlets and computers that we hold in our hands. Jessica and Paul, I'll ruin the end of the story for you. 
are miraculously saved at the hands of nine pirates watching over them when in an instant coordinated attack, every one of them was killed by SEAL Team 6 moving in under cover of darkness. The Somalian pirates' mistake is they made out the U.S. military in their own image. Follow this for a second. As mere men, they couldn't see in the dark. The pitch black prevented them from walking around and moving safely, for sure from sneaking up, much less driving out to the middle of the desert or flying. How could a man see at night? There's no flights that happen at night, of course. So the Somalian pirates' folly, their foolishness, is they made out all men to be like themselves. It is a rampant problem right now. It's always been this way, that human beings make God out to be like themselves. If it feels good to me, God must approve it. Surely he wouldn't say no to this. I am kind and generous. I have a perfect sense of justice. Therefore, God must be on my team. As we go to communion, what I want you to do is this. Christian, I don't want you to fear or fret being kidnapped by someone on this list. If you are in Christ, you have the spirit of Christ in you. Better than a SEAL Team 6 member with you at all times. You have the presence and power of the living God dwelling with you in every circumstance. That means that we don't need to fear. Why? Because God is currently protecting you. God is currently perfecting you. He's working on us. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the end. It's his work and working that we trust on this. I'll tell you what the Spirit of God does in the lives of believers. It means that when we read these things, we're repulsed by them. We say, God, may that never be on my tombstone. May that not be my legacy. I hate these things. These things destroy the world and my community and my home and my marriage and our churches. So God, let me walk in purity. God, thank you for your provision to us. Father, I pray that as we shift our attention to the body and the blood of Jesus Christ, this profound giving, emptying Jesus that you performed once for all on our behalf, that we wouldn't lose the wonder of it this morning. We're told to examine ourselves so we don't just keep playing a religious game, doing outside religious stuff to somehow be approved by other people. You would say, stop it. God, as we eat the bread this morning and drink the cup, we remember. We also anticipate There is coming a day. There is an end point to all of this. And we look forward to that day. In Jesus' name, amen.